Welcome to the Pre-Health Pod. My name is Lexi. And I'm Sarah. And we're a podcast by students for students who have been through undergrad, are going through the application processes for PA and med school, and are here to meet you wherever you are. So excited to be back. Um, We're at our next episode. We're talking about relationships and also touch on fertility in medicine, um, applicable for anybody going into the healthcare field with Dr. Brittany Ladson later in this episode. It was really wonderful to talk to her, such a great and enriching conversation. You know, Sarah and I are both women going into healthcare and even I feel like I have to plan my life if I want to have children or if, like when I want to get married. And so stay tuned later in the episode to learn more about that. Absolutely. And before we let you listen to all that good stuff, we're going to remind you that the National Pre-Health Conference is starting this coming Wednesday. So today, tomorrow, you're running out of time to register for the conference. And I cannot emphasize to you enough how important this conference is for your future. I listened to this conference as an attendee back in 2020 for the first time ever. It was their first conference. And it changed me for the better. It gave me a new path. It made me realize that what I had been told by my pre-health advisors was completely wrong. I was led astray and NPHC showed me the truth. And I can seriously just go on and on about how important this conference is. And I know that we have incredible speakers lined up waiting to tell you all of their advice and their wisdom and share all of that with you for free. And we have giveaways going on with our amazing sponsors throughout the conference that you can look forward to as well. So please, please, please do not hesitate to register for this conference. And who knows, maybe you'll end up applying to join our team afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, we also have a ton of really fun events coming up this academic year that we'll announce during the conference that I would love for you to check out. But thank you so much for saying that, Sarah. I still cannot believe when you applied for our team in 2021 that like you had attended the 2020 conference and you had said all those nice things. I was like, okay, well, this really helps people. I guess I should just keep doing this. (laughs) It truly does. The reason I joined this team was because of how much the conference helped me and helped me realize what I was missing and how to become a better applicant and the things I needed to be doing then that would help me prepare for the future, which is now that I'm grateful I learned in 2020. And I just want to highlight some of our speakers that I'm really freaking excited about. (laughs) Yay! So I'm going to run through a couple of my favorites real quick. We have Savannah Perry from the PA platform speaking on day one of the conference. She'll be speaking about the physician assistant career in general, the admissions process. She's incredible, talented, amazing, has a crazy cool Instagram account if you don't follow her already. And I can't wait to hear what she has to say. I always feel like I learn so much from her every time I hear from her. We are also having the med school boys speak that day as well. They're going to be doing a panel so you can ask them all of your burning questions. But please keep them appropriate. We know they're cute, but guys, you gotta keep it civil. (laughs) On day two, we have this crazy awesome opportunity. We are going to be doing a live podcast episode On day two, we're going to be speaking with Mr. Mark Priolo from the University of Arizona Medical School, and this is going to be a live episode of the podcast that we will 
yes, we will be releasing as a podcast episode, but you're going to want to watch it live because then you can go in the chat and ask him your burning questions as we talk all about medical school admissions, how to stand out as an applicant, and so much more. And on day three, we will be hearing from some really great speakers like Dr. Mama Jones. She is an OBGYN YouTuber. She's incredible. We'll be hearing from an epidemiologist, Dr. Dale. We have a chiropractor speaking about the multimodal approach to pain. So if you've ever been curious about chiropracting, chiropractoring, or <laughs> a little doubtful about chiropractors yeah. like me, this is going to be a great episode for you as well, or session for you as well. And I just, I think it's going to be great. So I really encourage you all to register right now, <laughs> hop on right now and register yeah. and save your seat for the, for the conference. You can register at www.nationalprehealthconf.org. Seriously, guys, you aren't going to want to miss this. Absolutely. One of our past speakers to, or yeah, past speakers on the podcast are presenting at the conference, Andres Diaz, the MD-PhD student. We spoke with Andres Diaz on this topic, pediatric oncology, and it was just great talking to him. And now he's going to talk about a different topic at the conference um, beyond academia and exploring the potential of non-academic writing. So if you ever were someone who published or did research or was passionate about a pre-med topic like should the MCAT be pass fail something like that you'll want to attend this session and learn more about how to write in these settings and cater to audiences that are outside of medicine absolutely seriously go register right now it's okay you can pause the episode and go register and then come back and unpause <laughs> we'll move on for my little NPHC rant um Woo! and I mean, I just want to talk to you real quick, Lexi. Something we talked about a lot in this episode was just like navigating your relationship and the shortcomings of men. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. No, but we did talk a lot about the Dang. different issues you can run into if you're going to be relying on a man in your relationship to do a lot of the housekeeping, to do a lot of the cooking, the chores. And right. It was kind of a surprising conversation for me. I guess I just got lucky with this amazing man that knows how to cook, clean. He loves vacuuming. He just takes care of things for me and has been just an incredible support and so helpful. And I know, Lexi, your boyfriend's been the same. Yeah, he, he is a uh, software engineer. Um, I have been fortunate to know him since high school or high school sweethearts. And it's very rare to like stick so long with your high school sweetheart. We've been together for seven years and he's always supported me. He has loved how much I want to go into medicine and, you know, hot take. He, he makes me make the bed and <laughs> and like do our laundry and cook and clean and like I do those things too and we help each other out and we collaborate and um I know that's probably not common uh for men to just to be so helpful in the household but you know I I think that should change <laughs> I agree with we you need to talk about that <laughs> no and I think it shouldn't be uncommon I mean 
how uncommon could it be? We both have found men who are like this. That's what I'm wondering. Ladies, are we settling? Yeah, no. (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) So we've come up with a plan for you. Here's what you're going to (laughs) do. You're going to go to the engineering department at your university. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're going to go sit in a study room. We're just kidding. And no. Look cute. I, I mean, we're kidding, but also if it works, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Just, you know, stay away from the fraternities and <laughs> don't pick up a guy at the club and 100% think it's going to work out. Get, yeah, get off Tinder. Maybe do Bumble, really right? Say anything. I mean, I met my, I met my guy on hinge um so maybe hinge is the way to go (laughs) i don't know harmony i don't know sometimes i wonder if bumble isn't even the right one to be on anymore (laughs) yeah but i guess at the end of the day don't settle you guys you are strong independent woman you don't need no man and also you're going to be a badass career woman so don't settle for someone who won't support you in that and don't be afraid to have those conversations early on in relationships um, with your significant other. I know we're just talking about heterosexual relationships right now, um, but really with anybody who needs to be familiar with medicine, tell them about your plans for your life and your career. And unfortunately, I know it's tough that we have to plan ahead, but plan ahead a little bit and tell them kind of set expectations. And I think if your partner truly loves you, then they'll respect that and honestly probably love you more for it. For me, absolutely. my boyfriend told me that when I, when I, um, he's currently like a software engineer, but when I'm a full-fledged attendee, he's like, he supports me so much, reads all my secondaries. It's going to cook and clean and ensure that, um, we've balanced responsibilities. But once I'm an attendee, he's going to be a stay at home gamer boyfriend. Or husband or whatever at that point that's um, awesome no I I agree and honestly something that I think is really important to talk about early on if you're planning to have kids in the future and you're planning to be a full-fledged career woman you might not need to talk about stay-at-home dad responsibilities you might need to talk about hey are you comfortable putting your kids in daycare yeah, because that was something that I didn't expect to need to talk about, and I did because I found someone who wants to have a career and kids as much as I do, yeah. and both of us being comfortable with putting kids in daycare or relying on a parent to live close by to take care of our kids while we're working full time, that's mm-hmm. that's a conversation you do need to have in your relationship, and the earlier you do it, the better, honestly. Right, or have a nanny. I know some people. Um, fun fact, I was personally a nanny, <laughs> um, but it, it, I was a nanny for a physician and she really relied on her nannies to, for her household to really operate. And it's because, I mean, they're so busy and her husband was extremely, an extremely busy accountant. And so um, have those conversations to me, like, would you be willing to hire help? And I know it's tough, but we're going into medicine. It's important to have these conversations early on. Absolutely. And I want to book drop real quick. Um, This book book was brought to my attention by 
a podcast that I listen to that's not ours. It's called Girls Gotta Eat. Can't recommend them, them enough. I, oh my God, I love them that. any day. <laughs> I know Lexi loves them as much as I do, but they recently did an episode with anthropologist Marcia Inhorn, who wrote the book Motherhood on Ice. And this book is an anthropology perspective of why women are freezing their eggs. And she talks a lot about the mating gap that is yeah. Women being successful, getting a higher education, making a ton of money, being career women, and not being able to find a partner who can meet them there at that level and not feel inferior to her because of her success and her wealth. And it's a great book. If you haven't read it, you should. And I'm not saying we should all go freeze our eggs because I fully understand that that's thousands of dollars of an investment. Yeah. But I am saying that we as women do need to know what's going on in the world. And honestly, the struggles we're going to face moving forward with our careers, because I mean, there's more sides to every story than just I'm going to be a doctor. What's going to make you happy is important. So if having kids in a family is what's going to make you the most happy, I know we want you to be the most happy. So educate yourself. Check out this book if you have the time and all your busy studying, I know. And if you have any questions about that ever, you can always reach out to us in our DMs. We do monitor those like crazy. I love monitoring our DMs and responding to all of you individually. So never follow be afraid us. to reach out and ask us questions. And yeah, follow us if you feel like it at Free Health Pod. Free Health Pod. And you can also follow us at National Free Health Community. Either one yeah. or both. I monitor both. both DMs. So DM yeah. me anywhere. <laughs> you can also follow me personally too if you want at Lexi A. Mercedes. I'm going to start making that account a little more pre-men in a fun way. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. yeah. I love that episode. I girls got to eat. I was like, oh my it God. Great. One thing they said, um, the author of that book was, she was surprised that the women she was interviewing weren't in relationships. They were freezing yeah. their eggs, eggs in anticipation of hopefully having a relationship with a man that a man that so would be able to support them. Like they weren't yeah. in relationships at all. And most of these women were in careers that uh, required a lot of them, like medicine. And I found that so fascinating. Um, but I also think it's important to like raise awareness of that. And, you know, it, it's okay to freeze your eggs and, and plan a little bit. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and transition to our episode with Dr. Latson, and we'll see you over there. All right, everybody, please welcome Dr. Brittany Ladson. Dr. Ladson is a PGY2 emergency medicine resident at Central Michigan University. She completed her undergraduate education at Michigan State and medical school at Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine. She's a passionate advocate for women in medicine and STEM. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to talk to you about relationships in medicine. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, Sarah and I are both women and you know, this is topic is very important to both of us. I personally want to go into a surgical field and I know that there is a huge scarcity of women in surgical specialties, like less than 10% of women in these fields right now um are women. And so I I really hope this number changes over the next few years and next decades or so and I I know it is based on the statistics of uh, current residents in surgical specialties. Um, 
but I definitely want to talk about what the environment is currently like for women in healthcare. And I'd love to talk to you about your experiences and what we can do to change the conversation. Yeah. And personally, I'm really excited because as a woman in a relationship, trying to get into the healthcare field, pursuing this PA pathway, you know, navigating having a relationship when there's so much going on in your life and so many things you have to prepare for, study for, work through. Honestly, a lot of the time you're giving up your time for free and that's just part of the pathway into medicine. So I'm really excited to talk to you more about how you've navigated that in your relationship and any advice you may have. Yeah. And so that brings me to my first question for you. Um, You know, relationships can be very challenging in medicine as a woman And how have you navigated this and experienced this? Yeah, so for me, I met my fiance when I was a third-year medical student. And during my third year of medical school was the peak of COVID. Um, All my rotations were during the time of COVID. I don't know what rotations were like um, before having to mask and social distance and all that Oh, man. And so we met at a very interesting time in, you know, current history and uh, we've been together for about three years now or two and a half years or so. Um, He's been there through uh, my final two years of medical school and my first full year of emergency medicine residency, and um, it has been quite the journey. Uh, My fiance is not in medicine. Um, He does water chemistries for the city that he works in. Oh, cool. Um, A little bit of sciencey background, but nothing that is in medical or healthcare. Uh, which to me is a benefit because I don't have to come home and talk about this patient doing this and this diagnosis and, and perseverate on, um, you know, I don't know what's going on. Like, let's just chat about this weird cancer. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's have a, a separation um, when I get home from work to have that separation uh, mentally from what I was doing throughout the day. However, um, he comes from a more, I guess you say traditional upbringing where typically the man is someone who provides for the family, um, and mm. is a breadwinner and kind of runs the household. And, and for me, I would also agree that I, my family brought me up the same way. Um, but I just function completely different than kind of that upbringing. Yeah. Um, I am now in my second year of residency, which is so cool. And now we're getting into the point of talking about like future uh, career choices, where I want to apply to be an attending, which is super exciting stuff, but also super scary because having to navigate that in as a resident, not knowing what the future might hold. And then also from my fiance's perspective of not knowing what that process is even like and not having to you know, personally navigate it. Um, it can be really challenging. Yeah. Personally, I have pursued... Uh, the use of a therapist to help me with those things. Um, it's interesting because, and actually it was, I was a few minutes late with my therapist, but definitely understanding of what it's like to be in like, at least the graduate medical, you know, graduate kind of medical education. And so it's nice that, that my therapist has that perspective to, to mediate between the two of us. Um, and I find that very helpful to have someone know like, oh, these are your values. These are his values. How do we take these two values and, and your differences and, and, and form a resolution? Yeah. Um, it's very helpful. Um, given that I knew that I was, you know, I'm the first person in medicine in my family. Yeah, me too. I, I 
I don't really know what to expect when it comes to like having to, you know, sign a contract and having to move and, and start a job. It sounds quite scary. Um, but at least having a partner there for you can be very helpful, even if they're not in medicine themselves. Absolutely. I feel like it can also be tricky though. I am currently applying for PA school and me and my fiance do this fun game called where are we going to live in a year? (laughs) And in a way I'm asking him to put his life on hold and like move with me and pick up everything and relocate, but I don't know where yet. So don't get anything too permanent. It's really challenging. And honestly, the best way that I could navigate it with my little experience, little to no experience is just showing gratitude and reminding him how much I appreciate the sacrifice he's making for me. And honestly, it's hard. It's kind of funny though. I got a rejection from one of a P one of the PA schools I had applied to and it was sad and it hurt. And then me and my fiance went, well, we're not moving there. (laughs) (laughs) We can cross that option off the list. (laughs) A little celebrations in the, (laughs) Hey, at least we know we're not moving to that state. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. My poor boyfriend, he um, really wants to buy a house. And I'm like, well, we cannot do that until next year when I figure out where I go to medical school. And hopefully, I mean, medical school is so hard to get into every single year that even though I feel like a competitive candidate, um, there, I mean, there is a chance I could be waitlisted everywhere and not get in. So I'm like, I don't even know if I could get in next year. And there's just a lot of uncertainty in medical education. Um, I can't even imagine what the match process was like for you. I know you were, you ended up going to central Michigan, um, but did you have that concern about like having to place somewhere else or out of state? Absolutely. Um, I really wanted to stay close to where we were living as a couple. Um, yeah. That place was in the same uh, city as his family. Um, I've always lived away from my family, at least an hour or two away. So to be away that distance uh, was no different than normal. Um, so that didn't matter. Um, but my fiance is very attached to his family, wants to see them as regularly as possible. So I was really trying to stay as close to that area as possible. And um, and then I had my another choice I had in mind where I really loved the program um, but just wasn't too keen on the location, given that it'd be away from uh, where my fiance uh, and I were living. And um, I know that that is a common, very common struggle for people in medicine or you know, people applying to residency when, especially if their couple's matching with another resident or if, yeah. um, if they have a non-resident partner, that can be, uh, it can be scary, especially if you're applying out of state, that that becomes an option when it cut, when it gets onto your rank list, it's an option of where you might end up in the future. Um, and for my fiance, he wanted to keep his job and I, obviously I needed a job. Um, and so one match day finally came around, um, I matched about an hour and a half, two hours away from where we were living, uh, which was at a program I'm currently at. And I, I love the program, love the people, love the mentorship in the program. It just was going to be quite the drive for yeah. me. Um, and our compromise was to to buy a house about halfway. Um, he's lucky his drive is more like 35 minutes. Mine's closer to like 55 minutes. Um, but that <laughs> is a compromise um, to have to endure daily for three years. Um, yeah. It's one thing if you're an attending where you maybe work fewer shifts or, um, you know, things like that. But 
in residency, you're there for lecture, you're in didactics, you're there for all your shifts, and probably a lot more than that too. All the simulation that you do, all those things that you need to add onto your schedule that you need to be present for. Absolutely. And that's been extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, with driving comes, you know, challenges. I've hit several deer. I've run out of gas on the highway. I've I've kind of done one <laughs> several deer. Um, I've kind of done one everything. I totaled a car. I hit another deer with the other car. Oh my gosh! Check the the list, and I'm just like, is this what my life is going to be like for three years? And thankfully, I've had a reprise from that over the last several months. Um, but it's extremely difficult. Um, yeah. having to compromise in that physical distance. Um, so we can both keep our jobs because, you know, as a resident, you don't make a lot of money. And so I absolutely depend on my fiance to contribute to our home with his income. Um, and, you know, hopefully one day that will change. Right. But it's a, an absolute struggle sometimes um, when it comes to matching in residency or eventually when you're becoming an attending and, and getting a contract for sure. So match day was, it was uh, unique. Uh, for <laughs> sure. I, I don't think that um, you can ever prepare yourself completely mentally for when you open that envelope, what it's going to say, whether you're you're moving, how far you're moving, who's moving, who's not. Who <laughs> so, came up with the match process? That's all I kind of want to know. Like why? A, a Nobel Prize for it, but I, I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to touch on, you know, the couple's matching process to me really stood out. I learned that couples matching can actually bring down your application. Like if you have one um, like side of the couple who's just a lot more competitive or one who's like really not that competitive, that, like that not that competitive person can bring down the very competitive's application and prevent them from matching at places that they highly ranked. And when I read that, it was like, oh my gosh who can win? (laughs) Yeah, who can win? And um, it's actually interesting for the first time that I'm aware of, um, one of our new interns has couples matched with um, his wife, who is an OB-GYN resident, which is so cool. I can't wait to ask them more questions about that journey. Um, But it's true that it becomes even uh, more difficult to find residency programs for the both of you um, if your couple's matching for that very reason. And I think a lot of people get around it by matching at different hospitals in the same area, which is nice. Um, and so you can, you know, be in a place that's, uh, geographically kind, um, to the both of you. Um, but yeah, it's a very challenging boat to be on as, as a couple in medicine preparing to match. Okay. As a PA, well, hopeful PA student, I, (laughs) yeah, I think, I don't know, when I hear couples matching, matching into the same program, I think, why on earth would you want to work at the same place as your person? (laughs) You never go away from them. You have like no choice. That's crazy. Yeah. You must um, really love them, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I, I will say that I have seen a couple of couples do the couples match process. And I think it sometimes builds a lot of camaraderie among those programs. And I've seen it mm. actually in EM and OB couples um, at the place that I did my clerkship and then also here as a resident, uh, which I find interesting that it's always been that way. But I think that builds some like 
camaraderie between the two groups not that you know there's any issues with either but just that yeah. there's some there's some mutual support like you're always going to have your ob fiance or your your em fiance or, or husband or wife um with you um, that's a great point romance cool. juliet <laughs> okay especially ob with em though oh my gosh the number of times working in the er that we were calling for ob consults and getting yeah. ignored and then we're panicking i got this how dilated is she really and <laughs> that would be nice to have that little secret card in your bag like hey let me just call my ob fiance real quick. yeah yeah Hey, my love, I got this badge bleed. Um, can you come in and please see them? <laughs> badge bleed and pregnancy concerning. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, not to change the topic, but since we're talking about OB, I have a question for you. Um, being a woman in the medical field, spending so many years in school working towards this career, do you have any fears about fertility down the line? Absolutely. Um, that is something that at this point in my life is just a very ominous thought. Um, I'm currently engaged, but I'm not married yet. I want to pursue having children upon being married, um, maybe at the end of residency. So in the next about two years. Um, but it makes me very concerned that um, I've had to you know, push my uh, ability to bear a child off for so many years. Yeah, um, people have babies when they're you know 21, 22 years old, and and I turned 27 at the end of this month, and yeah. I'm still not there. <laughs> it's just in my personal opinion, it's it's very challenging to have a child during residency to yeah be like eight months pregnant in the ER doing things like sewing up a laceration or like anything really sounds pretty uncomfortable to me. Just Absolutely. having to carry, you know, carry a child on you that you can't move around or readjust. Um, it's right yeah. here, not moving. Um, and and I'm just sure the exhaustion is just profound. Um, so for me, I just I don't think that I can do it. But there are, you know, there's definitely examples of females that uh, there's a a lady in our uh, emergency program who is the third year who is expecting, which is so exciting. Oh, just like pick her mind of everything about <laughs> how. how the to do's the to do nots like I want to ask all the things um because it's just such a, an important question that a lot of people in med a lot of women in medicine have to ask themselves do I want to push off having a baby for residency or how long into residency do I want to push off having a baby um when I start trying how long will it take me to actually get pregnant will it be you know a month or two or will it be a year or two um and that's yeah. Yeah. you think about like graduating residency when I'm about 28 29 years old and then I'm like almost 30, which is scary. Um, having to like, that'd be my first child. It wouldn't even be like you know, number two or number three. And that's scary because I want to have more than one child and I, I don't want it to be a painful process. I would love it to be an, an easy process, but it's just when women, women in medicine have lower fertility rates, um, fewer numbers. Yes. And, and it's also a challenge sometimes um, depending on the specialty or, or what you're doing to pump breast milk for your child once you do have a baby um, to continue having that lactation and having that supply for your baby. Um, I think there are some phenomenal mentors in my uh, emergency department who um, have recently had babies, have been pumping 
and and they've kind of set the precedence about like how that can be done on shift. Yeah. Um, it's so cool. It's, it's great to have that, um, that advisorship and that mentorship. Um, but it's still scary nonetheless to have to think about that in the future, but it's definitely nothing that not nothing, but it's less of a concern for the, our male counterparts in medicine who yeah. have to be the physically pregnant person have to take off time. If they have a cesarean section where they just had a major surgery and they just need time to heal their body up. Um, and then to have to pump when they're at work, those are things that just men don't do. Um, and yep. so harder for, there's maybe a little bit less sympathy, um, a less empathy towards, um, people that have to do that, um, mm-hmm. get to do that for their children. Um, but I look in my residency program, I see so many fathers, which is so cool. I think they are all great fathers, but they're, yeah. they're in comparison, there's probably seven fathers and there's one expecting mother. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I don't, I like, I'm still torn. I'm leaning very much to not having children. Um, Just because of the concerns. I mean, my whole life I have been, I have wanted to be a surgeon and I've wanted to go into that field. And I found just talking to other surgical mentors, it's very difficult. Like I had this one um, physician who had two nannies and, you know, had to do all of these and make all these jumps. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's would be really difficult too to balance a career and also prioritizing your children, especially if you want to have more than one. And what can we do to change that? Cause I don't think that should be normal. I don't think in medicine, it should be normal to be like, oh yeah, you know, just one mother, do what you can jump through hoops and, you know, like do what you can to be a mother in medicine. Um, What can us pre-meds and pre-PAs do now to kind of change the conversation and change medical education as we know it to support women who want to have children? Yeah, I think there's um, a lot of things that are super important in starting to change that narrative and um, and seeing measurable change being made. Um, I think it all starts with mentorship, having people that we can go to who have been through similar situations, people that have had uh, babies during medical school or babies before medical school, and and going to them as a role model and asking them, you know, all the things that they wish they would have known. Um, all the things that they thought were beneficial, like asking those questions, um, being a role model to others if we are people in those situations, um, and helping to just spread the encouragement and, and inspiration that you can do this. And being a mother in medicine doesn't make you a worse mom. It doesn't make you a worse student. It makes you coolest student. Um, and so I think it all starts with mentorship and yeah. advisorship. Um, I also think there's been some recent changes with um, like the ACGME policies for uh, paternity and maternity leave. Um, okay. Don't know or ACGME is the um, accrediting body for um, U.S.-based residency programs, mm. and they have now allowed uh, six weeks of paid paternity and maternity leave for both mothers and fathers because you know being. A, a father to a new child is just as important. They need that time off to develop that relationship. And then also using that to help out your female counterpart who just had a baby. Um, 
And, and so that's been one recent change in this past uh, couple of months. That's been just wonderful to hear. Um, and then also, I think just being kind and encouraging to those who are going through the process, um, you know, expectant mothers that need time for their OB appointments, um, new moms who are on shift pumping, um, giving them the, the encouragement and giving them the grace to do what they need to do. And, and of course, doing it with a smile on your face. Um, I think those yeah. are some of the things that we can all do. Um, and, you know, so reaching out for mentorship and then also being that mentor. I completely agree with you. When I was scribing in an ER, something I noticed was a little bit of like, I don't know, dislike or... Yeah, I guess I'd just call it dislike. There was like a negative association with one of the uh, female providers that worked in the ER quite often because she would have to leave her desk to go and pump. Yeah. And it almost seemed like some of the doctors and NPs, PAs, even nurses, like everyone was just collectively getting annoyed with her for having to step away to go pump. Mm. And it eventually got to the point where I was like, why, why are we acting like this? She can tell she like, this isn't, you're not hiding it from her. You're just straight up being mean at this point. And for what purpose? And I ended up talking to one of the PAs that I worked with about it. And she hadn't even realized it was going on. She, (laughs) she hadn't even realized it was completely something she was unaware of. And she brought it up with the main head honcho guy and he brought it up with everyone else and then suddenly everyone was a whole lot nicer to her and I just think about that a lot because she was getting like a bad reputation about her because she was what pumping so that she can go home and feed her child it's it's crazy (laughs) to me it's crazy stigma that that was an issue and it was really disappointing um so I was glad when it changed but it's so disappointing to see and I see that a lot specifically in emergency medicine where yeah. kind of time is muddy, money in the ER. Yeah. So you are constantly you know, trying to pick up patients and see them. But if you have to step away during your eight or 12 hour shift to pump because your breasts are going to be so engorged that one, you're, you're going to be in so much pain, um, yeah. but then also you need to produce that milk. Um, there's a lot of fleck for that among other people because that means they're going to have to pick up maybe another patient or two uh, while that person's yeah. Um And so it, in, in all fields of medicine, that's an issue. But I think in the ER, you see it play out right in front of you. Absolutely. And honestly, I'm really glad that I said something. I think if anyone does see something like that, you can't be afraid to bring it up. Like that's, we can't sit back and let that stigma exist. We have to say something when we see it because I want to be a mom someday. I want to work in emergency medicine I'm going to get the same stigma, I'm sure, at some point by someone. So I just think it's really important that everyone is confident in saying something when you see something like that going on. Even pre-meds and pre-PAs in the ERs, you still have quite a voice, especially if you're a medical scribe or a medical assistant, patient care technician. You're part of the team. You're not a doctor, but you're, you're an equal parts of the team. And so see something, say something 100%. Um, I had my share fair of tales in the ER. I was also a scribe in that specialty. And there were a couple physicians who are women and were like eight, nine months pregnant. And 
they were struggling to pick up the same number of patients um, as our male counterparts in the ER simply because it was exhausting. Our ER was huge and they had to like run all over the ER and they would be like, my back hurts. I can't continue getting up from my desk and seeing patients and up to the same level. And there was that, you know, sort of dislike or disconnect where it's like, you know, kind of frustrating that they have to deal with this. And it may just be that they're frustrated with the situation. I mean, I'm sure you know this, of obviously, in your career, but ERs are just overpacked, especially in Arizona. And um, like, I feel like after COVID, at least in my ER, it's just gotten crazier and way more busy. And yeah. so it's hard for all of the physicians to keep up. I agree. Absolutely. And I think also some of this extends to the home life. Um, for our uh, significant others who are our support systems during our journey in medicine, mm-hmm. uh, what stage in the journey you are. Um, partnership definitely starts at home and having the partnership and the reliability of your partner to help clean up around the house. Um, I know a lot of times people will come over sometimes when it's not maybe like the most spotless, not that I ever have like a nasty look at home. Um <laughs> Like maybe there's some dishes in the sink. Maybe there's some crumbs on the floor. I have three cats. There's probably fur everywhere. Um, (laughs) But like people will pose the question to me versus my fiance and be like, oh, Britt, you can't keep a good house. Um, Well, I can. I'm I'm overloaded at the moment and I'll have to address that in the future. But it is a partnership. I share my home with my fiance. We have this home together. We need to split responsibilities to, to make our home function. Yeah. But I think a lot of that is just like re-educating people in in our lives, uh, especially the older generation who a lot of them are, you know, stay-at-home wives and mothers and people that went out to be the breadwinners of the family. Yeah. Um, so they're projecting those uh, roles upon us. Um, and a lot of that is not true. Like as, a, as, you know, hopefully once I graduate residency, I'll be the breadwinner for the family. Um, and maybe my fiance can take more of that um, household responsibilities role up to help yeah. bigger lives function. Um, and so that's one thing I find, especially as a female in medicine in re- in a relationship, can be quite the challenge. Um, sometimes it's your your partner wasn't, you know, I don't want to say educated, but like educated as a, a child, like, oh, like men can take care of their home too. Here's how a vacuum cleaner works. Here's how the dishwasher works. <laughs> you it be kind of self-explanatory, but yeah. I'm like, can you go do the laundry? That I think the very first time in our home, my fiance looked at me like, I don't know what buttons to push. Oh my gosh. <laughs> these and these together. Like, do I wash them cold or hot? Like all of those questions. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of humorous. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to, you know, break those molds for our older generation, but then also to have children or nieces and nephews or cousins or neighbors or whoever, Yeah. also sharing that information with them. Teach your sons to clean your home. (laughs) Your sons can bake food and cook food um, and do the dishes and the laundry. Um, and your wife can go out and change a tire and change the oil if she wants to. Yeah. So it, you know, we can treat all of our children, neighbors, cousins, whoever with the same goal of like, oh, we're learning new skills and new skills are great. So 
I have thanked my boyfriend's mom (laughs) for like just making a son who makes the bed, does his own laundry. He cooks a lot, you know, the basic stuff for the household. (laughs) Um, But we split up the work and I have never had to ask him to do any chores. Really, it's him asking me to do stuff. (laughs) Um, And I'm just so grateful for that. But, you know, it's still not common in our generation. And this needs to change more and more over the next several years that like men and women can both care for the home and we can split up the work and based on who's working more and who's working less and have these open conversations and plan as a pre-med, you know, I do feel like I've had to plan my life out already. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be this age when I graduate medical school and this age, hopefully when I move on from residency. And so if I want to have children, it probably be in these years, should I freeze my eggs in these years? You know, when, when should I get married <laughs> in medical school, like in between breaks and things like that. And so it is really difficult, but having open conversations at an early start is so important. Lexi, I have two things that I want to bring up based on what you just said. Oh no. <laughs> First, this always happens. I say something and you're like, I know, and then I need it's to like, say something. Okay. So I recently, like last week, I had a conversation. I just started a kind of new job working at an OBGYN clinic as a medical assistant. And all of my coworkers are, they're all older than me. I'm the youngest person there. Everyone has kids or is currently having kids. And I get asked like almost on a daily basis by someone new, like, do you want kids, Sarah? Oh, Sarah, are you going to have kids? And my answer is yes, like I do want to have kids, but not right now, like in the very distant future. And one of the women that I work with was like, well, Sarah, but you also want to be a PA. What, what is your fiance going to do? And oh, he wants to do computer software, blah, blah, blah. And oh, Sarah, you think you can have it all. You think (laughs) that you can work and have a successful career and he can work and have a successful career and you get to have a family how on earth do you think you get to have it all? And I was so blown away by that. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I had never had someone say something like that to me before, but I guess now that I'm getting more serious in those and had stronger feelings about having kids and getting married soon, but I was so blown away by her reaction to that. She wasn't, she wasn't much older than me either. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? Can I have it all? Uh, yes. <laughs> don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You want, yes. I oh couldn't believe it. It was so crazy. I feel like I'm also asking not, I'm not asking for all of it. I'm just asking for a life I want to live. Yeah. Ugh. And I think that, you know, there are people that have it all. Exactly what you described. Um, their spouse has the dream job that they want you have the dream job that you want you have children and and cats and whatever else and living the life and I think that you can absolutely have it all and we need to see people having it all see women who have careers have families and know that like if you can see her you can be her and that's, yeah. that's what I delivered my TED talk on like if you can see her you can be her so it's all about yeah. her mentorship and giving advice 
um, to our younger counterparts. So to hear an older person say that to you, especially someone who's not that much older than you, is definitely disheartening, but yeah. we need people encouraging one another. Yes. Like we need to disregard those voices and seek mentorship. I, I love how much you're emphasizing mentorship. It's so important. And I value that personally as a pre-med student, all of my physician mentors have helped me so much and, you know, stick to your doctors that you work with in a clinical setting or maybe have shadowed and don't be afraid to just ask them for a virtual Zoom coffee. I've done that a couple of times through COVID and beyond and pick their brain about their life. It, it probably will change yours. Um, I'd love to transition to our game that we have. And what we're going to do is I'm going to say one or two scenarios regarding struggling relationships in healthcare, usually a physician and then their spouse who is not in medicine. And what we're going to do is I'll announce the scenario and then Sarah and Dr. Ladson are just going to offer some advice and suggestions and we'll discuss, you know, what we can do because you as a pre-med or pre-PA might experience this in the future. So to get started, my first one is Dr. Sarah, not Sarah Edmonds, Dr. Sarah, a highly dedicated surgeon is constantly juggling long hours at the hospital and being on call, her partner, Alex, feels neglected and disconnected due to the limited quality time they can spend together. What advice would you give to Dr. Sarah, your mentee, I guess in this case? So the advice that I would give would be to, to share with your spouse what your schedule looks like and, and pick out times where you can be with one another and have intentional time with one another. Yes. Um, either some fun stuff like, oh, we're going to watch this Netflix movie, or we're going to go out to the movies and, and actually go out and have a date night, or we're going to cook each other a very nice meal, something very intentional where it's on the calendar. It's, it's going to happen. You both know about it. And, and it'll be a time where you have to be intentional. So you have the pager in the car, you have your phone on do not disturb. You are being with one another and enjoying that time together. And so even though you're going through all those hard, long hours, especially as a resident, um, you can still maintain and manage your relationship. Absolutely. One thing that I found to be really helpful during undergrad when I was so stressed or working too much and also studying, um, something that I found that was really helpful in our relationship was that every single night we would check in, we would flip our phones over, set them down, put them in another room and just check in and see like, what happened today? How was your day? How were things going? What are you most concerned about this week? Or is there anything I can do to make your week better? Is there anything I could take from you to lighten your load this week and take care of that project or chore for you? And doing that every night is something we still try to do. And because of that, I feel like we face this issue less of like, hey, you're doing way too much and I never see you because I'm always doing way too much and he never sees me. <laughs> but now that we check in nightly, it doesn't feel so disconnected anymore. We still feel like we're a part of each other's lives every day. So I would definitely recommend trying to implement that if you can. I love that. My boyfriend, I was like, I'm going to share my Google calendar with you. 
And he was like, God, no. <laughs> like, no, thank you. I was like, well, we have to do this because it's only going to get worse. That's hilarious. <laughs> Linking calendars is an important step. <laughs> relationship right there. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, it's I'm all about it. I'm all about my calendar. I love my calendar. It's like my second boyfriend. So, you know, he has to. <laughs> Wait, I thought I was your second boyfriend. Oh, crap. Yeah. Calendar's <laughs> my third boyfriend. Um, for those of you listeners, my boyfriend, Alex, it's like, you're talking to Sarah again? <laughs> what about me? Sorry, Alex. <laughs> okay. Scenario number two. P.A. Amanda, who's in primary care constantly battles stress and burnout due to heavy patient loads and administrative burdens. Hot tip, administrative burdens are like the leading cause of burnout right now in medicine. Her partner, Chris, struggles to understand the toll it takes on her well-being and doesn't really understand, you know, why she's getting so burned out over her job. This leads to strained communication and some emotional distance. What advice would you give to PA Amanda? I think it's important for the both of them to recognize both in themselves and in their partners that they probably didn't expect a lot of this in a future partner. Yeah. So um, when you go into medicine, you expect to be doing medicine, you know, giving vaccines, doing pap smears, doing, doing the stuff, writing the notes, doing medicine, but you don't probably expect to do all the administrative stuff, you know, ordering supplies, you know, all that nonsense that none of us want to do um and then yeah. same thing for the partner where um you know probably at some point in the future they thought about what a future partner would be and that would be you know working the nine to five and then spending that nine to whenever together um yeah and, or even like having a stay-at-home wife or mom so someone that you know you come home to every day and so I think it's important to recognize that we probably didn't envision this um, and so we don't have to normalize that. We don't have to normalize being burnt out and stressed because we have this extremely long to-do list, um, whether you're the partner or the person in medicine. And so I think giving giving thought to that, giving grace to yourself and for the partner is a great first step in in managing that. And then I think some of it also has to do with um, we can learn to say no or we can learn to uh, divvy up our to-do list to other people. And so we can have more hands on board to tackle you know, larger issues. And so I think everything, everyone wins in that situation. Absolutely. The only thing I would add is making sure that you're really communicating what you're going through. Yeah. It can be hard to explain to someone not in the medical field or even just not taking the same classes you're taking exactly what's going on and how it's making you feel. Something that my therapist taught me that I apply to this is leading with I feel as the way you explain something. Because telling someone this is really annoying, I hate this project, or this task is so tedious and I have to do it so many times a day and it drives me crazy, it doesn't translate the same as I feel overwhelmed by this task I have to do daily it is taking a lot out of me and I just feel like when I get to the end of the day, I can't do anything else. I just want to lay on the couch and turn my brain off. It doesn't translate the same as just complaining about it. So trying to lead with I feel when you're explaining what's going on 
it will help in helping them understand exactly where you're coming from and what you're going through. Because a lot of times they seriously have no clue. They have no idea what you do at work. <laughs> they will not understand it. You really have to break it down if you're really looking for support and sympathy in a way of understanding. I wish you guys are my mentors and more <laughs> <and> beyond. <laughs> All right, should we do one more? Sure. Okay. Let's see here. Okay. Yeah. Dr. David, a promising medical researcher, top of his class or whatever, is driven to excel in his field. His partner, Emily, feels like their relationship is taking a backseat to his career in medicine. She feels that Dr. David, or David to her, you know, is just like doctor, doctor, doctor every day. But what about Emily's spouse? This leads to feelings of resentment and unfulfilled personal goals. What would you tell Dr. David and Emily? So I relate to this quite a bit. Um, actually, during my most recent therapy session, we talked almost exclusively about this. Uh-huh. Um, and and so one one thing that I have been doing recently that has been very helpful is when there's an opportunity for your spouse to get involved with whatever you're doing in medicine, get them involved. So if you're going to a conference, bring them along and like, they're not going to get kicked out. I mean, they're there to learn as well. They may not have as much background as you do in what's going on, but they're, they're, they're there to support you. Um, but no one else knows the difference. Um, so bringing them to conferences or presentations, um, a lot of times we have like dinners where they talk about different, you know, pharmaceuticals or about disability and life insurance planning for residents and stuff bring them along to those dinners. It's a way for you guys to be together, to do something fun and interesting. Um, But then also you're still building your career. You're still getting that like satisfaction out of the time that you're spending towards that activity. But then your your spouse is there. They'd probably love to see you enthusiastic about something and excelling in something. That's very inspirational thing to be a part of. And so I think that's one of the, the easiest and most fun ways to kind of mesh the world of I'm, I'm career oriented. I need to, I need to do this with your partner who um, may feel a little bit left out of the game. I love that. (laughs) I would also say to Dr. David, if your partner is feeling this way, you're probably doing exactly what she's feeling (laughs) because I (laughs) am guilty of it. I am the worst about this. I get so focused on my goals and I just, I'll put it, I'll put our relationship on the back burner on an accident and I won't even realize I'm doing it. So I'm really fortunate to have someone who will call me out on it, but also is so freaking encouraging. Um, kind of controversial opinion here but something that my partner does for me that has helped my issue of putting our relationship on the back burner go away is that he over supports me he listens to this podcast and he doesn't even care he has no interest in our topic (laughs) like he could care less about the pre-med pathway yeah everything we have to say but every week he is a listener and he takes what he listened and he wants to chat about it and it gives me the opportunity to talk about my goals and what I learned from our episodes because I'm learning every single week we record these and 
it has been the most helpful thing in our relationship, the way he supports me in that way and will engage with me in this conversation and help me come up with plans to better myself. So honestly, David, maybe you should ask Emily to get more involved and to be more involved in your conversations and your goal planning and the work you're doing and even like try to get her to help you study because that helps too. (laughs) built-in study buddy you guys yeah one of the things and I think residency programs should do this that I loved in my undergrad my research lab had occasional family outings where once a month we would go to a trivia night at the bar heads up I actually planned all these I was like we should do this I I'm sick and tired of being in the bench lab all day and we don't talk to each other. So let's go party. And so all we do is once a month. Disclaimer, Lexi's the genius behind this. (laughs) (laughs) We've done this a little bit before, but I asked like, can we do this more? And anyway, I hosted a trivia night and a movie night. But one of the really fun things that we did was this like scavenger hunt team game bonding situation and like everybody would bring their partners, their spouses, or their like their best friend to all of these things. And it was really fun because it forced us to not just talk about research the entire time because all of our partners were in different fields. And so we talked about normal life stuff, like where are you going to go? What are you going to do after college? Or what's your favorite hobby? Things like that. It was so much fun. And I think there should be more opportunities for that. I just applied to the University of Michigan Medical School, and I noticed they had this program called M-Home. Have you heard of that, Dr. Latson? I have not. They, at their medical school, do like this Hogwarts housing sorting situation. So the incoming class gets like sorted into different teams, and like they get different mentors, and they do like an Olympics, and then like a campground weekend before they start medical school. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. More medical students, more medical schools and more residency programs should be doing stuff like that, like coordinating programs that foster community building. And I'll lead it. You know what? (laughs) If you you take me to your med school, I will build it for you. (laughs) We should be absolutely be doing this. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ladson, for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed talking on this topic and you guys are so uh, smart and funny and sophisticated. It was just, yeah. <laughs> she called so us funny. funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> funny That's is my good. favorite compliment to get on this podcast. I'm always worried I'm not funny enough. I know. Can you tell my family I'm funny? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you again. I love this topic. I really hope that it has helped some of our listeners. And just know that you're not alone in navigating your relationship during this. And it's not crazy to feel like it's hard because it is hard to navigate your relationship when you're at this stage of life and working through your undergrad, heading into medical school, PA school, wherever you're going. This feeling of, wow, this is a lot harder than I expected it to be is normal. It's real. And know that you're validated in that. And don't be afraid to seek help for that either if it's available to you. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to roll the credits. This podcast was produced by Ari Rosenthal, Lorelai Edmonds, and Aditi Galande. You can find our conference on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at National Pre-Health Community or MPHC 2020. You can also find our podcast on Instagram at Pre-Health Pod. 
don't forget to register for MPHC 2023, July 26th to 28th at www.nationalprehealthconf.org. This is the last freaking week to register. It is Monday. The conference is Wednesday through Friday. So please register and come get some really awesome free advice and guidance from healthcare professionals all over the country. I'd like to highlight also for a second some really cool sessions we have. We have healthcare data analytics and AI coming up, as well as becoming an OBGYN with YouTuber Mama Dr. Jones at the conference, and what medical schools are really looking for live on the pre-health pod, a special session with me and Sarah and Mark Priolo at the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Phoenix. So check out all of our sessions, again, at www.nationalprehealthconf.org. Also, attendees get a UWorld discount, so check that out and some really fun other giveaways. And please like, leave a review, or tell one friend if you liked our pod. Thanks for listening. Bye!